0: Open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. As you turn there, I will remind you kind of of where we've been. We've been in this passage, this set of verses for three weeks now. Just these verses. There's so much in them. And the... Uh, Passage here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to focus on verses 15 through 17, but we'll read all the verses, verses 13 through 17, first. So let's read uh, verses 13 through 17, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification. By the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel. That you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. Either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved you and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And may God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, as we uh, approach this text, I want to remind you of what's happened. Paul has been at Thessalonians, but he left quickly. He was there for a few days before a mob came to drag Jason the leader of the church out in front of the Roman uh, government there, the presiding governor, who then required him to pay taxes in order to be able to worship. And that's all found in the book of Acts, and you can find that uh, pretty easily. But what we see is that in this passage, he is answering a question in chapter 2 that has begun, which is people are anxious and nervous because they've had some false Teaching Some false people coming around. And you know what these are. Because you see them on TikTok and YouTube all the time. Right? This false teaching where somebody comes on and they play music. Uh, You'll always see, they always play music behind the talker. Right? The speaker? Talker? Talker? I don't know. Behind the commentator. They always play music behind the person. And it's always like... Like it's always this weird like... The 1980s music that they played behind the books that were read on tape. Like, it's always something weird. And it's always suspenseful. Always suspenseful. And that's, by the way, called emotional manipulation. Don't do it. It's wrong. So, that's just a side note. That was for free. So, the idea is that they have had similar things happening. The way that they've had them happening is people have come in and gone, I spoke with Paul and Paul said, and then they blurt out something that's erroneous and false, or they received a fake letter. We know that fake letters were passed around a lot. People would write a letter claiming to be Paul so they could have the authority over the church and they they would present this letter to the church. I received a letter from Paul. You know, and then they'd open it and read it. Almost like they received golden tablets that were invisible. And they opened them and then they read them to the people. I'm sorry, that was an unfair shot. But the, um, th- this is almost like what that was. It's, it's a false teaching that has risen up. And what false teaching does, one of the ways that you can identify false teaching is it creates a sense of anxiousness. Not conviction. Hear me, not conviction, but anxiousness, a nervousness. There is nothing to grab onto for hope and for peace in false teaching. So when you encounter false teaching, if you are watching someone teach and you begin to feel anxious, not convicted, not like I've done wrong and I need to repent, but like anxious, like, oh, no, I'm feeling this weird thing up in my soul and I'm going to start. You ought to then investigate what's being taught. Carefully and with wisdom. Christians do not fear the truth. We approach the truth and we address the truth and we can discern the truth because the Holy Spirit of God lives within us and we can discern what is true. And we can open the scripture and we can see if it's true. We are to measure everything by scripture. So they've received this and then Paul has gone through to talk about the end times and he has discussed the end times. We discussed those at length for several. Several messages, but now we've come to the end where he has finished talking about what's going to happen to those that don't believe. He's finished talking about what's going to happen at the day of judgment, and instead, he's or afterwards, he has jumped on to verse 13, where he has said, "You are loved by God and chosen." And we talked about how what that means, and how beautiful that is, and how that is something you can cling to in times when you are afraid of everything. You can cling to the fact that God has loved you and has chosen you and you are his. And the very fact that you believe is testimony to it. So we can cling to that. We can cling to that. And then then last week we talked about how it's through sanctification of the spirit and belief in the truth that that came to you. So, holiness matters, and you become holy by the Spirit moving in you. So, the Spirit of God moves in you to sanctify you. We call this regeneration. And there is a belief in the truth that you have. You believe in the truth. God is active. You are active. This is beautiful. And it's this beautiful interplay. And into that salvation, we talked about this last week as well. You were called through the gospel. So that you may obtain glory. And we talk about glory being the revelation of who you are. Glory is reality. You want to know who you are, get to know Jesus. And you will find out who you are. It's the only religion where we become more and more like our Lord. We become more and more conformed to the image of our Creator. And in being conformed to the image of our Creator, we become more and more unique and individual. It's the only religion in the world that does that. Jesus Christ is the only one who does that. Every other belief system demands that you look just like everybody else. But in Christianity, what does it say at the end? Every tribe, tongue, and nation will be singing the same song in their own language, with their own cultural backgrounds, with their own character, all before the Lord. This is a we are a beautiful, beautiful, unique group of individuals who are all especially unique and made by God and the closer you get to Jesus the more the more you become who you are the more unique you are from everybody else the more the more precious you are as a person and the less you begin to look like the world and the world looks all the same they strive for their own unique individuality and in doing so they look just like everybody else so we come to this passage, verse 15. So then, brothers, and we have two instructions. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So then, in light of everything that's come before, in light of all the stuff that's happened before, in light of all, in light of the end times, in light of the, the truth that Jesus loves and has chosen you in light of the fact that, jo- that the Spirit has sanctified you and that you believe the truth and you have loved the truth, stand firm. That's the first instruction. Stand firm. Well, what does this mean? And We're, we're going to take our time going through this. I told you that when we started chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, we're going to go slow. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So therefore, my beloveds, be steadfast. That's the first thing. What does stand firm mean? Here it is, steadfast. That you are faithfully staying fast. You're steadfast. You're steadfast consistent, and staying in the same place. So you become a Christian, you believe the Bible, you trust the Lord for salvation, and stay on course. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, do not drift away. Do not drift, but stay in the middle. And he uses a nautical term, talking about staying in the middle of the river. Don't drift to the right or to the left. In the Old Testament, it says, Do not drift to the right or to the left. You will not turn. But you will hear a voice from behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Go in that direction. In Jeremiah, it says, Look to the ancient paths which and ask, Which is the good way? Find it and walk in it. And the idea here is that you live a life that is consistently pursuing Christ. Now, just by way of encouragement, that life is not perfect yet. But rather is being sanctified by by the Spirit. You are moving in sanctification because the Spirit of God sanctifies you as we read in chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. You are being sanctified through the Spirit as you walk with Him. You are being made new and renewed in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. You are being renewed after the image of its Creator over and over and over. So you walk a life that is steadfast and straight. Second, immovable. Steadfast and immovable kind of go together. You are not going to be moved away from the path of Jesus Christ. You are not going to be knocked off the path of Jesus Christ. You're remaining steadfast and immovable. Then we have this thing, abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord while you are called to rest in Jesus Christ. You are called to rest, Sabbath rest. You have peace with God, that abundant rest that that lives within us. While we are called to rest, you are also called to work. Christianity is not a lazy person's religion. You are called to work, to do something, to do something, to to work in the kingdom of God. You, You don't earn salvation. That's not what we're getting at. But when you are saved, you work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So do the works that God has given you. You were saved for the purpose of works that he prepared beforehand that you might walk in them in Ephesians 2. The first one was Philippians chapter 1. So you have these phrases about working. You are to work in the kingdom. And here in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58, it says, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then the third thing, Knowing that, In the Lord, your labors are not in vain. So you are to be steadfast and immovable, remaining constantly following the Lord. Second, you are to be uh, working in the kingdom, actively doing what is good, actively striving towards holiness. Just so you know, holiness doesn't come on accident. Nobody stumbles into righteousness. Not how that works. You don't accidentally suddenly read your Bible. You don't accidentally set a time to fast. Like, that's not how that works. You purposefully pursue what is good. You can stumble into sin. That can happen. But you can't stumble into that which is good. You have to do the work. You have to do the work. It takes effort. And a delightful effort it is, by the way. A joyous effort it is. One that makes you overjoyed and happy and filled with the love of Christ. And then the third thing is knowing, knowing that the Lord that the that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. A mind that is stayed on him, having a mind that is focused on him, recognizing that you are not living in vain, but rather you are holy and righteous and good and have, and and have been made so by Christ and therefore pursue him. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20, you all know this passage. Well, this is the armor of God. So how else do we stand firm? Well, here's one of the active ways that we do it. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 and through, through 20 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And I just want you to note what he tells you to do. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness of the given by the gospel of peace. With all perseverance, making supplication for the saints, and also for me, that my word that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. So standing firm means those things. It means those things. It means It means putting on the armor of God. It means battling against the adversary. It means standing in righteousness. It means knowing the word of God. It means wearing the breastplate of righteousness. Trusting that Jesus has covered your heart. It means living out life in peace. With, the, with your feet shod with the gospel of peace. It, it means putting on the helmet of salvation where your hope and your mind is focused on eternity. It means all of those things. That's what it means to stand firm. So when Paul tells the Thessalonians, look, stand firm. What he's getting at is these things, that you would be steadfast and immovable, working to actively do good, knowing that a mind that has stayed on him is at peace and right So what does stand firm not mean? Sometimes we can even grasp deeper what something means when we see what it does not mean. So first, I would argue that standing firm does not mean tossed about by every wind of doctrine. That standing firm is contrary to being tossed about by every wind of doctrine, which we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, carried about by every wind of doctrine. And then we see it again in Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 3 through 4 where people were devoted to myths and numbers and genealogies and endless things like that. They were carried about by all these every wind of doctrine, anything new. And I just want to remind you of something that we say occasionally here. Truth always trumps ta-da. Like ta-da. Truth always trumps ta-da. Right? It doesn't matter how many firecrackers you have. Or how incredible something looks. If it's new, that doesn't make it right. Truth trumps ta-da. It always has. It always will. Truth, mundane, everyday trudge of truth, trumps ta-da, always. First Corinthians chapter 13 and 1 Timothy chapter 1 through 5, It to be steadfast seems, or to be... Yeah, to, be, to stand firm seems also that you would live in love. The opposite is, if I have not love, I'm a resounding gong or, or a clanging cymbal. Loveless people do not live in truth. And then remember back up in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, where it said, uh, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, for they refused to love The truth and so be saved. Those who are steadfast, who stand firm, love the truth. They love the truth. They are saved because they love the truth. They love the truth. So they have a love for the truth. And then again, from the same passage, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, therefore God sends them a strong delusion that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth. And then here's the second thing. Had pleasure in unrighteousness. So standing firm is the opposite of having pleasure in unrighteousness. Those who stand firm take their joy in what is good and right and true. Those who stand firm are those who have pleasure in truth and in righteousness. Those who delight in those things. Then we have the second command here back, back in verse 15 says, so then brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions. Now, I just want to make a note. Traditions, not the same as what we're thinking about in your head. When you say traditions, we are thinking traditions. We think how we set the table at a dinner, right? Most of us, when you heard the word traditions, thought about Christmas traditions, or you thought about some other holiday tradition, or you thought about your Sunday tradition, what you do. On Sunday morning, you thought about, well, we do this, and then we do this, and we do this, and then somebody stands up and says a prayer, and then we read the Bible. Just to give you an example, Luke uh, chapter 2, we read every year at my mom's house. Every Christmas, we, same thing happens. The children wake up way too early, and my mom does Santa with them. Don't worry, my kids know it's not. If you're one of those, it's like, they just, we fight over that at lunch. I don't care. So we, um, we have that. And they, they come out. They get their Santa things. And then we stall for as long as we can until the cousins show up. Right? And the cousins show up. And then there's a tornado that happens in the house. And everything gets destroyed. While we prepare to eat Christmas dinner, which happens somewhere after presents. Right? And we all sit down in the room. And everybody divides up the presents, and all the presents get, just ridiculous. All the presents get divided up, and everybody's holding their pile. It's weird. And we've all got them all divided up. And then we go, at my house, we go youngest to oldest, with the exception of my sister, who always goes last. Because she is Ginny, and she is Ginny. She is and if you ever meet her, you'll know exactly what that means. And so, she gets to go last, and we all go around the room, and we open from me. and you have to watch every person. And you have to go, oh, I remember that, oh, I remember that. And every present it gets attention. But before we do that, we open the Bible to Luke chapter 2 and we read the announcement of Jesus and the birth of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And then we open presents. And then uh, about, because there's like 25 people, about, I have a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much, there's, uh, about halfway through we take a pie break. It's very important. And then, we come back and we all finish... And then we, we all exhausted from the day, go, all right, in about an hour, we'll eat. And then somebody turns on the football game or something. Uh, you know, the kids go outside and run around and destroy the outside as they have the inside. And then we, we have Christmas dinner. That's what we tend to think of when we think of traditions. Now, that's not what's happening here. I told you all that just to tell you that that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is traditions are a set of things that he has taught, that he has instructed them or that he has shown them. So the word tradition literally means in the Greek to uh, to give alongside, to give alongside or alongside give is it's is the way that it's read. But Paul has given these things alongside them. So he is handed these off to them. And the image is as if you're walking alongside somebody while passing something. Like you're passing something off to them alongside of them. Like as they go, you're giving them something. And that's important to grasp because what you need to understand when Paul uses the word traditions is he's talking about things that he has lived out with people. That he has walked alongside people to give. So these are things that he has lived out with them. The traditions that they've been taught are things that he has walked alongside and, and given them. So where do these come from? Look at first, or 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. It says, Now we commend, command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. So they received, we're going to go back to the whole keep idleness thing, but this is received it from them. They received this from them. And note what the tradition is here that he's talking about. He's talking about working versus idleness. Laziness versus industriousness. Working versus idleness. And he says, this is the tradition you learned from us, that you received from us, that we gave you, that walking alongside you was an example of Working at working and do, being industrious and not being lazy, but being industrious. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, it says this, Now I, command, I commend you, brothers, because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions, even as I delivered them to you. So Paul has delivered these traditions to the people. He has walked with them. And understand, it's important that we, when we read this, we understand he has walked alongside and modeled these things. He hasn't just given them a list. It's not like Paul just wrote down on a list and said, here's 20 things that you need to do, and then handed them to them. No, he literally handed, he gave them to them, modeling them to them. We read this every, every week when we do communion. We read about one of the traditions that he was giving them. And it's, I delivered to you what I learned from Jesus That on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and having broken it, he said, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the blood of the new covenant for you. This is the new covenant for you. He delivered these things to them personally. In a negative sense, you can also have worldly traditions. In a negative sense, you can also have worldly traditions, like in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, where it says that there are worldly deceits that were taking people along and philosophies that were taking people along. And in Matthew chapter 15, verses 3 through 6, Jesus confronts the Pharisees and, and says that their religious activities were making void the word of God. So the world's traditions make void the word of God. The things that the world tells you to pursue and to do make void the word of God. And isn't that true? Don't you see that all the time? We see that all the time. God says you are this and you say with the world, no, I am not. God says this and the world says that you should hold to this ideology or this practice. In Galatians chapter 1 verse 4, traditions... That bind men are also wicked. I thought that was fascinating. Traditions that bind men. Christians get blamed for binding men all the time. You just don't want me to live like I want to live. No, that's not no. I want you to live for real. I don't want you to die. It's a different subject altogether. But Christians get blamed for this idea that somehow we bind men by a system of rules. And it's not true. It's just false. Christianity does not bind people, but it frees you to be who you are supposed to be. Without Christianity, without Christ, you can't be who you were designed to be. Without Christ, you can't be who you were designed to be, so you are bound. You are bound to behave and act the way the world tells you you must. And if, if somebody listening is not saved and does not understand this, I just want you to think about how ridiculous it felt the first time someone told you that their pronouns were something bizarre. The first time. That was the right response in your heart. That response that went, what? The defiance of truth is a tradition that will destroy the soul. The defiance of truth is a tradition that will destroy the soul. It contradicts and it binds you. It binds you and it ties you down. You can't be free. You can't forgive. You can't overlook. You can't live in freedom. But Christ frees you. If traditions bind you, if they bind you to something other than the Word of God and thereby the Spirit, then they're not profitable. If there's some sort of tradition or practice that you're holding on to that binds you to something other than the Word of God, then it is not profitable. For where the Spirit is, there is freedom. So the third thing, to, or the fourth thing rather, to see about traditions here is that it is caught as well as taught. It is both taught Paul taught it to them, but it's also caught. Like they watch him model it. They watch him model it. Romans chapter 16, verse 17, we are are told, or chapter 6, verse 17, it says, we are told that we become obedient from the heart to the standard which you were taught. So yes, it was taught and they learned it and then they became obedient. So their hearts learn the truth. Your hearts learn the truth in Scripture, and then your hands follow suit, and you begin to obey. The heart affects the hands. So you begin to obey. In, chapter, in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, it says, Watch out for those who teach contrary to what was taught. Again, it's taught. It is taught to you, and you can learn it. But it is also caught. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, it says, uh, Whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is good. The, cling to those things, And then it says, uh, very straightforward, that which you have seen in us put into practice. That which you have seen in us put into practice. So it is also caught. You learn this by being around holy, good people. You want to be holy. You want to have a full life. You want to be filled with the Spirit of God. Find an old saint who loves the Lord. Find someone who loves the Lord and I will tell you just a couple of quick tips. They don't look pretty. Old saints are old. They are either old physically or they are old in soul. They don't look attractive to the world. They do not have great Instagrams. They are people who have who have walked life And you know them because you look at them and you go, does he see my soul? Right? They've got those eyes that you talk to and you're like, he's looking right into my soul right now. They are godly men and women who know the word of God, who pursue the word of God, and who have no misgivings about their own greatness. They are not great. They know they're not great. They just know that they love a great God. Get around those people. Learn from those people. Be around people who are obsessed with the Word of God. Be around them. Now, the traditions are caught and given. So what are the traditions that were given? Let's finish this morning by looking at several uh, passages. But let's read here first in verse 15, just again. Hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letters. First, the tradition, the first and and foremost uh, first Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here we go. For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is the tradition that is first importance. This is what He delivered to them or gave to them as first importance. What I also received, here it is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive at the point of writing this letter, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But the grace of God... I, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached. And so you believe the first tradition and the most important one that you receive is that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again and then appeared to everyone and then ascended into the heavens and he's coming back. That is the first. That's the gospel. You are receiving that tradition first and foremost that your sins have been forgiven because he died for you. That you have been brought to life and real life. Not the petty nonsense that the world tells us, but real life. Not just some side passion, but real life the second thing that you are given here the second tradition that we can see in the in Paul's writings is the word of god 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 1 through I mean chapter 1 verses 4 through 10 says this for we know brothers loved by god that he has chosen you there's that same formula as 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13 because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake, that you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers of Macedonia, Macedonia and Achaia. To come the second tradition that they were handed was the word of God. I hope you saw it repeated in there over and over. The word of God which was given to you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13, it says this, "We thank God constantly for this, and here's what he thanks God for, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you who believe." The Word of God is the second tradition that is received in Paul's writings that he's referring to. So He's referring to first the Gospel, then he's referring to the Word of God. He's referring to the Word of God. And then third, he's referring to work. He's referring to work. So the third thing he's referring to is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, which we read already. Now we, commend, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from the brothers walking in idleness and not in accord with the traditions that you received from us. There was work that they were admonished to do. There was effort that they were supposed to put into faith. Work out your faith with fear and trembling. For he who began a good work in you will be faithful and just to complete it. That second verse there, that verse, first Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that verse, that is powerful because the the verse having so much to do with your sanctification and your life has nothing to do with your work. But right before it says, work it out. Work. Not because your sanctification depends on it, but because it's a mark of who you are. It's part of the traditions you receive that you are to work in this life. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12 says this, To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly, um, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and home, and homeless, and we labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. You are to work against the adversary. You are to work against the struggles of this life. You are to press and against them in the joy and power of the Spirit. First Thessalonians 2 verse 9 says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. There's, there should be no place for a mooch in Christian community. A mooch. You know what a mooch is? Should be no place for somebody who's a mooch in Christian Christian in Christian community. We admonish one another to work and to labor and to be workers approved by the gospel. The fourth thing that I can that I think he gives In traditions are the example of difficulty and endurance and suffering. We read a couple of those earlier that even reviled, they don't revile in return and they're persecuted and they learn in persecution. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 11 it says, "My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and in Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet From them the Lord rescued me. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Understand, Paul saw that part of the traditions he was passing down to us was a sharing in the suffering of Jesus Christ. A being willing to be persecuted. Indeed, a desire to endure through difficulty. That's part of the traditions we're handed in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. For we, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure and suffer as we suffer. So we see that there are these things. There's the gospel, the word of God, the work and difficulty in suffering. All, all are traditions that have been handed down to us to walk in. And then the final thing that I would point to as a tradition handed to you is a focus on pleasing and delighting in God. Pleasing and delighting God. 1 Thessalonians chapter four verses one through seven says it this way. Finally, then brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing that you do so more and more for, you know, what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus for this is. Is the will of God your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body and holiness and honor? Not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. We are urged in the Lord to find our pleasure in Him and our delight in Him. And we are to please Him. A man, a woman is designed to please the Lord, to bring glory and joy to Him. And in pleasing and delighting the Lord, we will find ourselves in delight and joy because He is the supreme joy. So the traditions that are handed down to us, according to Paul, seem to be the gospel, the word of God, work, the example of difficulty and suffering, a focus on pleasing him. These seem to be the traditions that are held down for us to or passed down for us to follow. They're given alongside us. And so then, brothers, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Just by way of conclusion, we'll cover this passage more next week, but by way of conclusion, look at verse 16 and 17 and let's see the prayer that results from chapter chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. This is the prayer that inevitably results from the heart of an apostle who loves you. Look at this. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace... Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So you've got right there, this is a work that God is going to do with you. He tells you to stand firm and to hold to the traditions. But then look at the prayer. Look at the prayer. He'll give you comfort. He'll hold you there. He'll give you comfort. He will hold you there. And He will establish you. That He would establish you in good work and in the Word. In the good work and in the Word. So we pray at the end of this, not, not we, don't, we don't just aimlessly go, I'm trying my best, Lord. That's not what we do. We, we pray that He would then establish us. That He would do the work in us to move in us and to bring us to life that he would do this. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts, hold you fast in traditions. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work, make your heart to stand firm. That he would make your heart to stand firm. Establish them in every good work and word that you would be established by the working of the Spirit in your heart and in your life. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would be delighted in your people here. Lord, we trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross, taking our sins upon himself, and that he rose again, that we would have life. And we know, we know your glory. We have seen, we've seen, and testified your greatness. The Lord, we pray this morning as we come to a time to remember...